Podcast. Let's talk about the weather. Hello to today's episode of Oddcast. We are at IFAD today. IFAD is a trade show for uh, all kinds of waste, environmental uh, processes for municipalities and other stuff that my partner today will explain more in detail. We are in Munich and my guest is Katja Weber. Hello, Katja. Hello. Katja is uh, the application development manager for um, hydrology in Europe. That's a long title, uh, and she will explain what that means in detail. Um, so, Katja, first, uh, did you have a good travel here to Munich? Yes, I did. So, that's good. Good to see you. Um, you will be here for the next two or three days, I think. Yes, three days until three days Friday. Even. Perfect. So... Tell me what IFAD is. I mean, IFAD is an abbreviation, of course, an acronym. What is IFAD standing for? So the IFAD is one of the world's leading trade fairs on water topics, from wastewater to water processing to environmental technology. Um, and also with a lot of uh, forums and startup corners where startups find a platform to show their new um, yeah their new technologies so it is the point where many specialists on different water topics come together and meet and where all the knowledge from the different parts can melt together so water is the source of life um, and when I walk through the halls here and we have I think eight halls with All yes. kinds of um, companies, startups, uh, big enterprises. It really gives you a, an image how broad that topic is. So when we talk about water, and we are in Germany right now, um, what immediately comes into my mind is the, are the floodings from last year, um, which were quite drastic in the northwest of Germany and also in parts yes. of France and, and Belgium. So, um, what do we learn about floodings, about uh, storm, fl uh, storm rain? What do we learn about that here? Well, the first thing that you already figured is that we have this huge exhibition and all the people that we have here are somehow related to water, but all on completely different topics. And probably all of those um, topics, all of these stakeholders have their own part in what happened there last year and all of them have their own learnings so water is really a, a, such a vast topic with so many um, with so many different disciplines to work on um, but what what we focus on and what we specifically can learn is the hydrology part of what happens after all we are hydromet so this is where we focus on and if we talk about that it is mainly that we have to check or that we can check where the water comes from and we could make sure to measure that in time to be able to warn and also to be able to provide information for decision makers during the process of a flooding 
So the water must come from somewhere. And yes. uh, in most cases it's rain, precipitation yes. or, or snow. Um, so we behind me, and the listeners can't see it right now, but there is a um, water and weather station. Um, yes. So starting with where the water comes from, when we draw the water cycle. So let's start with precipitation. Where, Correct. Uh, what is important there to know how much water comes from the air, from the sky, and where does it come to, and in w which... Uh, time period. This was also yes. decisive, right, in that flooding that we had last year. Exactly. That was very decisive because what causes those <clears throat> that kind of flooding that is caused by heavy rain events is a high amount of precipitation in a very short amount of time. And that also usually in a very limited area. And that means that the water is not able to go into the soil and then it will run off on the surface and then later on you will see it in a river or if it can't go into a river then for example in the basement or in your garage so the soil is But like a sponge then and it just can yeah. drag a certain uh, amount yes. of water And the yes, rest but if you know, it's more the comparison to a sponge is absolutely correct. But if you think of your sponge in the kitchen that is absolutely dry after two days of not using it, and then you hold it on the, wa on the water, it's usually pretty hard. And once you put it on the water, the first thing that will happen is that the water runs off the sponge. Mm -hmm. And only once the sponge is soaked again, it can soak up more water. But when it's absolutely dry, the water can't go into the soil. And that analogy works for soil that too? That works for the soil just the same way. If soil is absolutely dry, the water cannot go into the soil easily. And if then a high amount of rain falls, then it will just run off on the surface of the soil. But Therefore, the first thing that we can capture is the precipitation. That is the first point that we can actually warn or alarm on. You said that the precipitation can be a very local phenomenon, right? That yes, correct. A couple of meters further, there is no, no rain, and in your area, the sky is, water is falling like from, uh, like yes. in a shower. So, yes. um, the typical forecast is not enough right for critical places correct so we usually do have or cities and community uh, municipalities are able to access data from the german weather service and also everyone is able to see an online weather forecast or a rain radar online but these data are not at all um, accurate enough in terms of spacing in terms of uh, spatial resolution the smallest resolution they can get is one uh, is half a square kilometer but if you think of these um, rain cells that you have there that cause those floodings they are quite often way smaller and then you underestimate the amount of rain because the radar says for the whole cell of half a square kilometer you have the this amount of rain but What actually happens is that in a part of the cell you have way more rain and in another part you have less rain. So you underestimate the really high precipitation in one point. And is last that, sorry, sorry, Kati, is that oh, what yeah. happened last year too? Partially. Um, yes, but 
they also did have local weather stations that could support. So last year it was a bit of a mix. Um, anyways, last year was a very, very unusual situation where it was an extreme situation where you say maybe you anyways couldn't do anything about it. But at least local stations, more local stations would have helped to have more accurate data. Another point why the uh, why those local weather data ser uh, service data may not be accurate is the fact that they first go from the station to the German weather service then they do a calculation on them and then you can access them. So you have a time delay in between, which is usually up to half an hour. And that can already be too late if you want to have your warning instantly. And they require you to actively check data. If you have your own local station, you instantly get a warning that you get. So you don't have to check the data. Okay, so just to summarize, we have several, let's call it problems here. Mm -hmm. One is the resolution of yes. those uh, radar measurements which mm -hmm. is more or less half a kilometer you said uh, square, square kilometer, kilometer yes. yeah. so um, apart from that when you rely on external data um, you have a time delay in between which can be fatal at times yes um, so both causes are arguments to have your own dense measuring network. Yes. And even more that for your local measurement network, you can take your local knowledge into consideration. So one example that I had already with our customers, that they told me, whenever it rains up there in on that mountain, the water rushes down that mountain and it overflows the basin at the bottom of the mountain and then it goes through the center of our village. So there we could make sure to place a station exactly on that part of the mountain where the rain causes issues. If it rains 100 meters further up or further down, they don't have an issue. But if it rains there, they do. So that is what they want to know. And that is what you can consider with that setup. In that specific example, what kind of time space was between the first event and then the actual flooding? Um, between the rain and the flooding, they had about one hour time difference. So, Which is not a, not, not a lot. Yeah. That is not a lot of time, but if you know in time and you can react in time, then it is very helpful. And on top of that, we could also supply them with a water level management for or measurement for their basin. So they could see... Um, first, they would get the information... It is raining pretty heavily. Could you please wake up and check on everything? Uh, unfortunately, these things tend to happen on a Sunday night. Um, and then the second that happens is, hey, we got the information it rained very much. And by now, your water level in the basin is already rising. So maybe you should make sure to go up there. And they always had the opportunity to open a gate where they could get some water into a detour. So they had the opportunity to do something about it to prevent it from getting into the, uh, into the city center. But for that, they needed to know that they have to do something. And that is where we And somebody them needed to tell them, which also yeah. requires it's one step more, right? Okay, yes. so we're not talking only about the data itself, but also about the processing of the data and the steps that need to be taken. Katja, which um, kind of parameters 
are important when we talk about heavy rain and flooding. You mentioned the precipitation amount itself, uh, the soil dryness in that mm -hmm. in that case. Soil moisture. Moisture, yes, yeah. but in that case, more dryness. Yeah. Uh, so, what else could you think of? Um, well, obviously, rain is the most important. That is the earliest actual measurement we can get. Um, the soil moisture is very important because it gives us an indication on how much water the soil will be able to take on. And uh, the next quite important topic is water level management and, on, and water level measurements at really local spots. The big rivers in Germany usually have a really good flood warning system installed already. But the big rivers are usually not the issue with the heavy rain events because a big river like the Elbe, they easily take on such a local event. It just goes down. The um, Elbe is going from, from the east of Germany, from the Czech Republic, to over Berlin, to Hamburg, to the North Sea. Correct. Yeah. Just for the ones who don't know it. Um, but it is a really big river here in Germany. And such local events don't harm the big rivers there you hardly see it but for those heavy rain events you have really small rivers that usually you could maybe even jump over in a, in a just with a big step yeah. yeah small streams and these suddenly rise to an extreme level and will flood everything in their surrounding and to monitor these and their water levels can be a crucial point and That is uh, the, the most important parameter after the precipitation. So, do we have a dense measuring network also for those streams? Would not yet. Not yet. Um, because it is really, usually people thought it's too expensive for such a small stream, and anyways, that will not do much harm, even if it's flooded, it is so small. But by now, they figured that for the heavy rain events, that's, that's incorrect. We used to see floods only as the typical spring flooding that everyone knows from big rivers where in spring you have a high water level when the snow is melting snow in the mountains melting yeah. and additional rain in the spring and suddenly you have high rivers and for that we have a lot of warning systems installed and we have a lot of safety measures installed but for the small streams we have a different background they don't get the flood in the spring they get the flood from the heavy rain event and that is where we now need to focus more on that they get those measurements as well and with the eco lock we can provide a very easy to set up and inexpensive solution that provides exactly what you need for water level measurements and data transmission so the eco lock what, what is that the eco lock is a compact data logger combined with a pressure level sensor And you don't need um, a lot of construction works to install it. You only need a two-inch pipe in the stream and you can place the logger, including the sensor, in there. It will be proof for vandalism because it's hardly visible. No one knows that it's there. And it has an integrated modem which can send the data to your data platform. So it is very compact, it is inexpensive, and it can easily be mounted in all kinds of small streams and rivers. How does the data come to, to a comprehensive system somewhere else? We can use the 4G network, which is the normal phone communication uh, network. 
but we can also use the LTEM for everyone who doesn't know what this is. Uh, neither did I before I had to deal with it. Um, that is a network which is also an LTE network like that we use for the for the smartphone for the cell phones. But it is specifically made for machine to machine communication, which means it is made for very low data bandwidth. But for our sensors, that is absolutely sufficient. We don't want to stream a movie, we just want to forward some data. And the data amount in these data is so small that we can easily deal with these small bandwidth. What is that? Bytes, kilobytes? Uh, bytes. Yeah. So it is a very small, even though for us those data are big and important, the data amount is really small if you send it. And that is why we can use the LTEM. And that is, for example, also used for other IoT applications like your fridge ordering food or informing you that something is missing or, for example, for some uh, systems that supervise your home, things like that. They also use LTEM. Where is that LTEM network spread around these days? Is that popular in a lot of countries nowadays? Yes, it is uh, popular in a lot of countries um, already. It is usually hosted by some big network hosts, like in Germany it is Telekom. Um, and for other countries, I don't know the maps, but you find maps online where you can check to which extent uh, LTEM is available. And for Germany and Austria, I do know the maps and they are pretty almost pink in that case because it's telecom. Um, but you can see that the network is almost everywhere available in Germany, even more than the local LTE network. And as an advantage compared to LTE, the low bandwidth of LTEM allows better cell phone reception, um, for example, in measurement sites that are underneath the ground or that may be indoors or that may be blocked by any kind of housing or trees or whatever. I'm seeing that the time is running close closer to the end now. But what we haven't discussed yet, and I'm, I still have it on my, on my invisible uh, note here, we know now how we get data on water management, on water river levels, on precipitation. What happens with the data before some measures are being taken? So how do we get that data? I mean, we can send somebody to a river and op let him observe. The, the, the level, the pressure, whatever. So how do we make sure that this hour that you mentioned before, that we only have to evacuate people, to, to make them aware that a catastrophe is mm -hmm. about to happen, how do we make sure that this time is as short as possible? Yes, um, we ensure that with a smart alarm management. Obviously, measuring data consists of two parts it is the sensor on the one side but every sensor needs a brain and the brain is our data loggers and these data loggers get a smart alarm management which means the sensor can measure really regularly like every minute or every two minutes so the sensor and therefore also the data logger would 
quickly recognize that something is happening. It could be too much rain or a water level that is rising too quickly. And then they decide, according to the values that you set before, they decide, okay, here's something going on. Now I'm going to switch to my alarm mode. And then they instantly send messages to the platform, to your server, to a smartphone, whatever you use and whatever you want to use. So you can, ease, you can instantly get an SMS message. And in that case, they can automatically adjust their sending interval. So to save power for the times when we need it, and also to, just to save people's nerves with not constantly getting data, but only when you need them. We usually send the data only once per day or once per week, which says, <laughs> yes, I'm still here. The station is still working. I'm still running perfectly fine. And whenever something is changing, whenever something is going on, we switch the measurement interval and the sending interval to a higher, um, yeah, to a shorter interval to respond more quickly and provide basically live data. When we have that data coming into, mm, or let me start differently, we have data that a logger is taking from the sensor mm -hmm. itself. And in case nothing happens, nothing dramatic, this data is being pushed, pulled once per day. Yes. Yeah. So, but we have thousands, I don't know how many stations in Germany, water stations. So when I want to check them, maybe also in the aftermath, uh, when I want to take a look at the data that is taken and maybe analyze it or give it to someone else, um, is there a sort of software that I can use that does that for me instead of pulling data from every logger manually? Yes. We have software solutions that allow that. Depending on your size of network, we have them scaled according to, to the needs. Um, but specifically, if you have a really big network, that is when such a software provides you an actual benefit or a real benefit. And this is what we currently use Aquarius for, so that you can have a, a quick look on your network and you see all your stations in one, in one, in one map, in one go, just on one click. And then you know what is happening there. However, a software like that should be able or need to be able to do much more to not just be beneficial in the case of a flooding. So once we have a software, once we set up a software, we want it to be beneficial in everything you need to work with in your everyday life and not just the flooding. So it is able to do way more than just alarming you in time. So you as a professional hydrologist, what do you need that data for apart from alerts, of course? Yes, so the alerts is always the first thing that comes to your mind because people think, well, if I want to know something, then I want to know if I have to do something and when I have to do it. But another important case is to learn out of the things that happen. And the only thing to learn is to monitor. So we store data and afterwards we look at what happened. And we can see what happens over 20, 30 years and then check on how regularly some events are. Did we always have the same outcome with the same event? So did the precipitation of a specific amount always lead to the same flood? 
I can tell you it does not. Um, but the only way to find out is to actually monitor and to keep the data stored and to be able to analyze your data. And also for that, you need a lot of software because if you have hourly precipitation data of 15 years, that's nothing that you want to watch in an Excel file. So. I can imagine, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of manual looking through data and yes. your eyes get really tired. Yeah. Yes, and you don't really see what you want to see between all those numbers. And it is a lot of work to deal with them, to for sure also in spreadsheet programs like Excel, you can set up graphs, you can set up small routines to, to run automated processes for you and you only have to import the data. But that's a lot of manual work to do. And probably you have more important tasks to do in your work life. So that is, with a good software, you can save a lot of time, a lot of work time, and it makes your life easier. And it will show you the things you need to see. Who could be a potential user of this software and the sensors that provide the data to Everyone who has more than 10 environmental measurement stations is a potential user. Because, so if you have less than, than 10 stations, we still have the matching software, but it's a bit smaller version, um, which is more suited to small networks. Um, but everyone with more than 10 stations is a potential user for Aquarius software and will most likely benefit from using it. Let me state I'm a potential user of that software but I have my sensors already so do I have to buy new sensors to use that software no you don't obviously we would highly appreciate if you do it can only make your network better but um, no you don't have to it works the only thing that is necessary is that you enable your sensors to forward data to an FTP server or an HTTP server as soon as they are able to do that we can include them in our database and we also allow uh, many APIs so that you could even get data from external sources in there as well so if they are not coming from the sensor, but for example, from another database that is already existing. We can include them as well using APIs. So for example, DWD in Germany? Or yes, yeah, for yeah. example, including the precipitation data of the DWD. Good, I'm seeing that the clock is running and hitting half an hour now. Um, we have to close that topic, but I think we will definitely return to that also to precipitation and next time you will be my go-to person for that thank you very much yes, katya it was a you. pleasure I, i skipped the precipitation measurement a bit but yeah that's why i'm <laughs> coming back to that um, we can do that again um, i wish you a nice stay here and a good two days at ifad thank you and hear you next time bye bye let's talk about the weather